Good morning. Uh, my name is Alyssa, and uh, the first thing I want you to know about me is that I recently took up backpacking. Uh, I was trying to explain what backpacking is to a few members of my congregation, uh, and these are folks who came here from uh, South Sudan as refugees. And so I was going through, this is what I'm going to do when I go backpacking, and one of them looked at me and said, so you're going to spend a bunch of money on expensive stuff, put it in a backpack, and go pretend to be homeless in the wilderness <laughs> for a number of days. And I said, yes, that is, that is exactly what it is. That is, that is backpacking. Uh, and I, I kind of understood where they were coming from. Backpacking is not a thing that I would be naturally drawn to do. I, um, I bring a lot of gifts into the world, but uh, physical grace and athleticism are not uh, things I have to offer many activities. Um, but I, I would never have thought to do it on my own. But I was invited. I had a colleague who I admired that was putting together a backpacking trip for Episcopal clergy. And he asked me to go. I, I didn't want him to think I was a wimp. So in a fit of optimism, I said yes. And, uh, and then I spent the next eight months in a panic because I wasn't sure that I could cut it. Uh, as our group came together, there ended up being nine of us, I noticed that um, there were some very physically fit and competent people going on this backpacking trip, and I realized that I could not compete. So to manage my anxiety about what was to come, I decided to set a reasonable goal, something that I could accomplish. And the goal I chose, knowing I could not be the best backpacker, on this trip was just to not be the worst one. I just didn't want to be the last person on the trail. I didn't want to be the last person to camp, the one who didn't know how to make the fancy lightweight stove go on, that kind of thing. After all, the place we were going has bears. And I don't, I don't know if you've heard the joke about bears, um, which is, and how to survive a bear attack. You've heard it. Uh, which is that if you, uh, if you meet a bear in the wilderness, you do not have to run faster than the bear. You only have to run faster than the slowest person in your group when you meet the bear. It's funny, right? It's, uh, it's actually just horrible advice <laughs> for what to do when, uh, when you meet a bear. But it is a pretty human response to fear and anxiety to scary things, right? When there is a threat, it's pretty normal to look around and just kind of make sure you're not at the end of the pack, right? Like, I, um, I do not have uh, the cleanest, most organized home. Uh, but I know a couple people <laughs> whose houses are consistently messier than mine. So I feel okay about it. <laughs> it's, all, it's all good. And... Uh, my kids are not the best behaved children in the world, but that's why we stay friends with that one family whose kids are nuts. Because when we hang out with them, I'm like, eh, we're good. And really, is there, is there any harm in that? I mean, we do what we have to to cope 
with things that are frightening, is, is there any harm in just kind of tracking and making sure that we're ahead of somebody? Well, if you are a Christian, then yeah, there is. Because that means we have to look at each other with judgment, which is just that far away from contempt. I mean, if we are always trying to run faster than the slowest person, then that means somebody has to fail. That means there has to be someone who gets eaten by the bear. Jesus, this morning, uh, tells us a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. I want you to think for a moment, uh, to sort of picture in your mind, uh, and maybe notice if you have an emotional response when I say the word Pharisee. My guess is uh, that you don't feel great about the word Pharisee, And, and that's Normal, right? I kind of picture in my mind an angry man in a robe, maybe shaking his fist. Um, and so our Gospels don't give us a lot of background on the Pharisees. Uh, what we find in our scripture is usually when we encounter a Pharisee, they're in a conflict with Jesus. So we don't like them because we like Jesus. <laughs> so there's more to them than that. They're more familiar to us than that. Uh, Pharisees were a progressive religious sect that advocated for progressive things. They cared deeply about the scripture and the intersection between scripture and everyday life. And they advocated for everyone to have access to these rites and rituals of their faith that some people thought only priests should get to do. So they were egalitarian. Think about the people you know who do good things. People who pay their taxes, and tithe to their church, and have a regular pattern of disciplined spiritual life, prayer and worship. Um, People who try to be decent to other people in really concrete ways. That's the Pharisee. They're kind of like you, kind of like me. On the other hand, the tax collector did not do good things. By definition, a tax collector was someone who uh, colluded with a corrupt empire. Tax collectors had to take more money away from people than people could afford in order to be able to pay the Roman Empire and also have some money for themselves. So by definition, the tax collector is not doing good things. Think about uh, the people you may or may not know who are in professions where they have to compromise themselves in order to get by or to get ahead. Think about loan sharks or slumlords. That's the tax collector. So it would be tempting, it would be tempting to think that in this parable, the big twist, because spoiler alert, there's always a twist in a parable. It'd be easy to think the big twist is that the Pharisee is bad or doing bad things. And the tax collector is good, doing good things. 
that is not what is happening here. The people who would have heard and listened to this parable first would have known in their bones the Pharisees doing good things and the tax collector is not. So then what is it? What's the twist? A Jewish scholar Amy Levine talks about this parable uh, in her book about parables, which I believe is called Short Stories by Jesus. And she talks about what happens when they leave. So our translation of the Greek there says um, that the tax collector left uh, justified rather than the other one. Um, and that's a valid translation. But she argues that also the words there, it has the word para in it, which means alongside, could be translated, the tax collector left justified alongside the other one. I think the crazy twist here, the uncomfortable truth that this parable is trying to uncover for us, is that they leave equal, that neither one of them is more or less loved by God, despite one of them doing good things and one of them doing bad things. That God's grace and love is equally available. Everyone can leave justified, which means in right relationship with God and other people. It's like, it's kind of like a group project, right? Where everyone gets the same grade at the end, and that doesn't feel fair. But there it is. See, the Pharisee is not getting slammed for his religious practice. Um, They're both practicing religion in the same temple. He's getting slammed for his attitude. He looks over at the sobbing tax collector, and his response is not uh, compassion or recognition. He doesn't see a sibling in faith. What he sees is someone who's going slower than him, who's lagging behind, someone who will thank God get eaten by the bear before he does. He's using his religious practice Not to be shaped for right relationship with God and other people, which is what our religious practice is for. He's using it to make himself feel like he's better than other people. Jesus doesn't tell us what happens after they leave. Um, I don't think the parable doesn't seem to be interested in that. We do know that elsewhere in the Gospel of Luke, Uh, Tax collectors change. They have encounters with Jesus that transform them. And we know that elsewhere in our Gospels, Pharisees change. They have encounters with Jesus that bring them into contact with people that they normally wouldn't want to touch. I want to circle back to the bears. So if... If, uh, if running away and sacrificing the slowest person in your group is not the most effective way to handle a bear attack, what is? I did some research on this. And if you don't have a gun or a bear spray, then the best way to survive a bear attack is to stay together, to get all together and make yourself big and scary to the bear. In fact, a friend of mine from the Forest Service told me that Uh, There has never been a recorded bear attack on more than three people. 
So if you're hiking in bear country, go in groups. Stay together. In other words, be with each other and face the bear together. Nobody runs. Everybody lives. Even the bear. I think we're at this um, moment right now uh, as a people where it is very attractive to take refuge in contempt for other people. There are so many scary bears out there. We're facing so many disasters. Um, Just this morning, you can pick from them. There's natural disasters and political disasters and humanitarian disasters. And that's just the stuff in the news. I bet in this room, there are many personal disasters also looming and threatening us and it would be tempting to use our religious practice to make ourselves feel like we're better than other people, uh, to kind of edge us toward contempt. That is not what our religious practices are for. That's not what we're for. This is a time of year when we focus in on particular religious practices. Here at All Souls, you have spent the last four weeks thinking and praying and talking about the spiritual practice of giving. Um, Giving of your time and also giving of your money. Um, And I think this is a great time to remember that we don't give of ourselves, of our money, of of our time to this place to prove that we are good. And, and we, don't, we don't do it to get ahead of the person next to us. We don't do it because if we do, God will take better care of us than of other people. We give and we serve as a response to God's love. We give because it shapes us for right relationship with God and with other people. Remember this God we love and serve. Because God sees us all the time. When we behave like tax collectors, and we all do. When we behave like Pharisees. When we view each other with contempt. And God offers all of us the opportunity to be completely and fully loved. And that's what, the, that's what the tax collector got right. He knew that the only chance he had in this world was the bountiful and merciful love of God. I mean, with, with a love like that, from a God like ours, we can let go of our contempt. 
with a love like that, from a God like ours, we can afford to be generous in many ways with each other and with our broken world. With a love like this, from a God like ours, we can face the bear together.